This is Deep Natter. In this episode, Sean and I talk about expectations around the things we make and the imaginary bars we set for ourselves, which are often not only beyond our control, but in the grand scheme of things, they're just not accurate measures of our worth. Here we go. I was going to do maybe an iteration about this because you get really excited about something and you're like, you're, you're seeing it come together and you're so excited about it and it's so cool. And you're like, oh my God, this is going to be really great. And then you put it up and go, ah, oh, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that just sounds like every perfectionist ever about yeah. every project they've ever done. So <laughs> yeah, uh, this is no good. Yeah. I mean, front end, it's amazing because in your head, you're sitting back with popcorn watching your own like Chris Nolan movie that you oh, yes, but actually oh, yeah. what comes out is like... I'm like, I am the greatest director in history. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Next year, I'll be at an award ceremony. That's right. <laughs> Best review of a mixing console goes to... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, me? <laughs> oh, sorry. You shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get you anything. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought Marcus Brownlee's okay, but thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. Like I was telling you, it has it has really reaffirmed that I love audio. <laughs> Video is just such a pain in the ass. It is. But, I mean, I mean, this is your first crack at it, though, isn't it? I mean, well, not, not your first crack, but like your first uh, crack. Like, second. Like, second crack. Yeah. I mean... I don't know what your experience is. It sounds like it's been, it's felt like jumping in the deep end, which I suppose it has been. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it's exponentially more complicated or it's not even, it's more complicated. There's just so much more to think about, you know, I mean, audio, there's audio, that's it. You know, once I get my channel strip settings dialed in, I don't really do anything to the audio. I might tweak the compressor a little bit if I'm too far from, you know, or make, make EQ changes or you know, whatever it is. But this, man, I mean, making static assets, uh, making little video clips, making, I can't tell you how many handheld like beauty passes I tried to make over the surface of the thing, trying to get the timing mm-hmm. right and trying not to shake and trying to get it smooth. And and then you have to put it in context and go, oh, shit, that was too long. Timing's off on that mm-hmm. one. Got to back that one off. Oh, nope. Don't have enough now because I made it too short. Now I got to go back. Mm-hmm. And it's just... Like, I have so much respect for people like you who make videos. And, and God, the people that, like, as I'm doing this, I'm thinking, how did Casey Neistat do a video every oh, yeah. single day yeah. for, like, four years? How, how is that even possible? Yeah, I mean, I think that's far more a testament. I mean, Casey's an amazing filmmaker, obviously, but I think that's far more a testament personally to his ability as an editor. Because from from watching him work, it seems like he collects a lot of random shots, um, and then he trusts himself that in the edit he can make that all make sense and bring it together and have enough material to make something work. He's a ninja editor. That guy. It's incredible. I mean, it's yeah. just that that skill. I mean, it really does kind of reinforce. I mean, great directors will say that the film is made in the edit. Mm-hmm. It almost doesn't matter what we shoot because. it's it's really assembled in the edit. I mean, it's really kind of, it comes together or it doesn't in the edit. I believe that. I mean, so for example, I've just come back from two days uh, filming in London um, where I did two videos, two days back to back. So it was quite quite a a busy schedule. And the approach I take is 
uh, these the, the, these little documentaries I do on other photographers is I sit them down and I film their interview part first. So I know what I want to get out of them. Um, I'll ask some questions, getting them talking about particular things, but I'm just listening for their responses because my question never appears in the video. So I need to have everything they've said cut together. So it just sounds like a monologue from their part, you know, but while they're saying whatever they're saying, I'm listening and taking notes and thinking about it. And then I'll take them somewhere uh, to get a load of shots of them doing things. But that's where it gets messy because you've got a short amount of time, uh, you know, the conditions are whatever they are. I'm trying to listen to things they've said and capture them doing particular things so I can cut it over the top. So it's good memory stuff as well. I have to remember what they said to remember which things I want to feature. But I mean, both days it got out of control. Like in my head, I'm like, oh gosh, I can't remember exactly what I filmed and, and, and have I got everything and, and, and should we do this? And now the lights changed. Is that going to work? Is that going to match everything else? Could I take them here? But that's going to look like we've moved locations too much. You know, all those things. I just have to trust myself that I get as much good looking shots as possible that could sort of illustrate what I'm doing. And then when I get back in the edit, absolutely, the edit is where it has to make sense. So it's almost like, it's almost like foraging and cooking, you know, like I'm going out to forage as many ingredients as I possibly can. And then when I get back to the kitchen, I'm going to work out what ingredients have I got? What recipe can I make from this? Yeah. What, what can I make from this? Yeah. Yeah. It, it has to be that way, though, I think, because unless you're on, I was thinking about driving back, unless you're on a film shoot with like a massive crew and everyone knows their jobs and you, you know, you've got sets that are built custom, all the angles are worked out, everything's lit to within an inch of its life. Anything that's sort of more free form or one man band or especially documentary has to be capture as much as you can and build it in the edit. It yeah. has to be, I think. You yeah. can plan loads, but but things always change with this kind of thing. It always changes. It's really tricky. So how did, how did you find it? Did you get like a sense of what it could be? Did, I mean, I, I hear your frustration with it and what a pain in the ass it is, and I completely relate to that. But like, did you get any like, oh, I could see other things I could do or where this could go? Was there any excitement around it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely there was. And I think, you know, you were, you've been extraordinarily helpful along the way. That's no secret. You are very generous with your knowledge and I appreciate that so much. I was trying and the initial camera tests, I guess you call them, or the initial footage, whatever, you know, I was standing at the thing at the Mixcast. What we're, what we're talking about here is I just did a, a review of the Tascam Mixcast 4 and it's my first video review of gear that I've ever done. The only thing I've ever done as a video review was a book and that was about a year ago. So my thought was, I'll stand at, at this thing, top-down view, and I'll talk about it, and then sort of Vanna White my way through it, kind of pointing to different features, and oh, here we have this, and here we... Well, that didn't work, because I found that I kept getting lost. I need a prompter. Uh -huh. I need to have, at the very least, bullet points where I can then keep myself on target. Right. So then I tried it that way. I said, okay, I'm going to write, I'll write something out, bullet points on the left-hand side on my, on my screen so I can kind of glance over and, okay, what's next? Well, that didn't work because it, be, it, it ended up being super long. And, and when I asked you about like, what's the sweet spot for, for this, this type of thing in terms of length, yes. you know, you had said somewhere between maybe 10 and 20 minutes. Like I wouldn't go over, you know, 15, 20 minutes for this kind of thing. Which, understandable, you know, that, I think that's a fair, that's a fairly long attention span anyway for something like this. Yeah. 
So what I ended up doing was I, I ended up just writing out the whole thing and kind of riffing as I was reading the whole thing so it didn't just sound like I was reading text. And then I played that back in my headphones while I stood at the thing and then highlighted what I needed to, but ended up not really using too much of that at all. Instead, I just kind of punched in on what I was talking about and then ended up shooting like little B-roll shots of the faders or the screen or the headphone knobs or whatever it was. But for me, having that as, as a background and then seeing, okay, well, here's what I need to have here. Here's what I need to have here. Here's what I need to have here. And just sort of backfilling yeah. shots that yeah. worked for me, you know, because what I ended up doing is I just film top down of the entire thing. So you, you can see the meters going and they're in sync with me. So you can see that, that the thing is actually working. There's some visual interest there on the screen. And then I just ended up building either still frames, you know, in the case of talking about how it compares to the roadcaster or uh, graphic overlays, things like that, where I thought they would fit. And I think, I mean, I would say it's a, I don't know, a seven out of 10, maybe, maybe. I, I think you've been ungenerous to yourself. I mean, honestly, like, so I, I said this to you, like personally, so, you know, I'm not just saying this because we're talking now, but like, I, I honestly think it's a, it's such a slick presentation, what you put together first time out of the box that you should be really proud of yourself. It's, it's, it's the kind of review I want to listen to and watch because yeah, I think so you. many reviews are uh, people who are interested in being in front of a camera and showing you stuff and they're trying to get views and they're trying to show a lot of enthusiasm. But the, the, co the content that they're talking about, the things that they're saying, it doesn't have a lot of depth to it and there's not a lot of information in it. It feels like a lot of, a lot of kind of fluffy filler, whereas yours is – and this is where the fact that you're a great writer really helps you is everything you say is deliberate and rich and every sentence is like has has a lot of info in it um and you're not you're also how to say it you're not treating your audience like children you're not patronizing you're assuming that I know what a luff is you know you're assuming that I know what it what a 10 band EQ is because you're mentioning these things so you're talking to a particular level of people who understand audio and I think that's missing. I think we baby a lot of people on YouTube. I know I, know I find if I, if I ever do go onto YouTube and look for lens reviews, for example, because I'm looking at a new lens and I want to see what these lenses do, I'm often disappointed by the fact that there are thousands of, of sort of basic, basic reviews. Oh, look, it's kind of mostly metal, not plastic. You know? Oh, good. Okay. Right. Uh, oh, right. oh, good. Look, I took this shot with it. Look, look how out of focus it can go. I need more than that. Do you know what I mean? I need like... Like, give me the nitty gritty day to day from a professional photographer. And that's the level you're hitting is like, I'm going to talk to professional audio people, or at least people who know um, a, a lot of this stuff, because that's hopefully who is going to be buying something from a company like Tascam. And you're assuming a certain level of knowledge. And if they don't have that knowledge, the exciting thing is they then get to open another tab and do a bit of, of searching for terms while they're doing it, but they're going to get a wealth of information. And I think it's great. And the other thought I had while I was while I was thinking about your video as well is is what you're doing is a is a very legitimate form of filmmaking. Like it's not it's not less than anything else. And I I thought like imagine if Jeffrey sat down and scripted like a long maybe maybe nothing to do with photography or audio or art even. You I just imagined a video from you when I was watching you walking into Washington and taking some shots yourself 
uh, around the capital and just writing something five minutes long, talking about the state of your country and what you feel about it. And then maybe cutting in some news footage or cutting in some some uh, some B-roll that you pull from stock footage sites. But because your your spoken word is going to be so well scripted and so well produced, like that's that's a legitimate form of of filmmaking that I, I personally I really enjoy because I think it has another it has another level of communication that somehow that's a great idea that's a really great idea yeah but I mean there's so much scope for that kind of thing for you because you've already got the hard part down I, I always tell people who make videos the hardest part is working out what you're going to say and is it worth people's time that's something you've mm-hmm. been doing for years you don't struggle to write a script and you don't struggle to record a really classy sounding voiceover that is so much of the work if you're going this particular filmmaking route yeah and everything else is just used to accentuate that and maybe you add some music underneath and some some visuals over the top like i i think there's something to this for you honestly and i know it's a pain in the ass right now because it's it's day one of trying to work out how to do this but it's got for me immediately when i watched it there's no ways i would have said if someone had shown me that this is my this is my first attempt at this sort of thing on youtube there's no ways i would have believed it it's got it's got a Hmm. real nice polish to it thank you i I mean it scratches a lot of itches for me it really does i mean there i love the idea of of a not being on camera i mean we've talked about that but i like you know creating graphics i like doing doing you know, the, the supporting work that gets put into it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the part of it as well. It's great for you is you have a very, very strong design aesthetic and you, all your experience as a graphic designer and everything come in. So it, it gives the visuals and the text you put on screen and everything else that polish as well. And I think, I th- I, th- I don't think you've, I think when you get a bit of distance from how frustrating the process has been, you're, you're going to realize what you have. Mm-hmm. And actually it's definitely worth exploring because you're already a couple of years ahead of most people who start on this sort of thing in hmm. terms of the quality. Well, I, I definitely have to, you know, I, I have to do part two, which I, I think is going to be interesting. It's a lot more sound samples. It's I'm already thinking about graphics that have to be created and, Prom- you know, promise me uh, there's a boom in there. <laughs> oh, boom. Yeah. I, I think I have to, don't I? <laughs> I, think I think you have to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Test, test, boom, test, test, boom. Yeah, I have to do that. Um, but what, one of the things that came out of this, I had an idea for a new product coming out of this. Can I talk about this for a second? Is it on a post-it somewhere? Uh, no, no, it is not. It is in, uh, it is in notes, Apple oh, Notes. Oh, wow, look at this. Yeah, give it to yeah. me. Hit me. Yeah. So, okay, so you know how, how Lightroom, it, you take a raw image and the edits exist apart from that raw data, right? Yeah. The, the, the raw image is just raw data off the sensor. It has no color space. It has no, it has no form until Lightroom or some other raw processor gives it form, for yep. those of you listening. Anything that you do, color correction, white balance adjustments, et cetera, exist in an XMP file alongside of it. What if there was a class of audio device, and maybe this already exists. I don't think so. I looked and I couldn't find anything. But what if there was a mixer, maybe Tascam does this, maybe Rode does, I don't know, I don't care who does it, but it captures raw audio and there are non-destructive audio effects on the box itself, Mm. right? And those effects sync up with the effects that would be in the app that goes along with it. So everything becomes non-destructive because right now, if I 
if I record on the Tascam using the built-in effects, those are effectively baked into the audio, right? So then if I bring that into an editor and I want to sweeten that up, I have to add more effects on top of, you know, so it's sort of like editing a JPEG. Yes. There's a direct correlation with this with the film world, because what they'll often do is film in log, which is a very, very flat picture profile. Yeah. But the, but the director will be sitting there and they'll put the, the live feed of that log footage, that flat footage through a monitor that has a built-in LUT in it, um, which will grade in real time that flat footage to, to give the director an idea of what the footage will look like when it's finally graded. But then when yeah, they bring without it destroying grade, that original footage, yeah, though, right? It's, it's literally just a preview of what it will look like, but the log footage itself remains untouched. So you're just getting a preview. And then obviously they take it into post and spend ages actually color grading it. Yeah. I would like to see something like this for audio. Yeah. A hardware and software solution that uses synced effects. So like if I, if I record on the box using the built-in effects and I bring that file over into the editor, the software equivalent of those effects are also on that editor and they are synced so that settings are in parity with what was on hardware. And, and if I decide, you know what, that low end is not quite low enough, I can tweak that effect. And again, all, all of these effects just sit almost as metadata on top of the raw audio. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically you, you want a live preview out of the box with those effects on, but when you pull the audio into your software on the, on the machine to edit it, you want it without those effects so you can build them from, from custom. No, no, no. No, I want, I want the effects synced across hardware and software. Ah. So think, think of it as, as syncing previews across multiple devices. Oh, oh so, so if you pull the, the audio into your editor, then it, it knows what effects you previewed it with and it would, yes. it would start you there, but you can edit it from there and change it. Absolutely, got yes. You, yeah, got you, got you. Got you. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So it's, it's Lightroom for audio kind mm-hmm. of thing is how, I, is how I explained it to Adrian. She's like, wow, that's a really good idea. And I think it could be really interesting because then you could add in other effects, VSTs, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But y- you've got this sort of non-destructive baseline to work with from, and it, and it's, it exists on, on hardware and in software as one ecosystem. Yeah, it makes sense because all it would be is is however however um these machines are set up i mean i've got the roadcaster i guess it would be signal coming in that would then record uh directly to the um the card but then separately whatever comes out through the headphones is pushed through those of that effects rack after that's yes. been recorded on yes. the card but it knows what effects i applied uh, applied and could just send across a little packet of data with that file that then get that, that whatever editor you use can read and reapply. Yes. And tweak. And, yeah. and then what, what happens because it, in the same way that the image data is that a raw file is just image data off the sensor recording raw audio is just, it's just the, the pulse code modulation. It's just the PCM mm-hmm. information without any header. So there's no sample rate. There's no bit depth, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. none of that, that gets, that gets applied either on export from the hardware or in software. So you can decide, I want this to be, you know, 44.1 or 48 if you're working with video and have the thing, you know, in 32-bit float so it doesn't clip or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, that's, that's the engineering side is well beyond me and I don't even claim to know any of that other than what little I've read. I just think as, a, as, a, as an ecosystem 
hardware and software. And, and one of the reasons I started thinking about this was how clunky the the included software is with the Tascam Mixcast. They they include this thing called the podcast editor. And it's it feels it feels like a beta. There's a lot there. It just needs it it feels like I, I you know what I was talking to one of the guys at Tascam and I said it feels like I guarantee you there were two different teams on hardware and software that rarely spoke to each other mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it, it, it feels so different. And he just laughed. He's like, yeah, probably. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. I can't tell you, but yeah, um, yes, you're right. <laughs> yeah. 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 It just, it feels like right hand didn't ever know what the left hand was doing. They just knew that they were connected to the same thing, you know? And I think if, if they were to put some, some resources into it, some money into it and look at it from the perspective of, of a user, of a podcaster, of a, of a live streamer, of a filmmaker, et cetera, et cetera, instead of looking at it from the perspective of an engineer, they could have a really interesting all-in-one ecosystem. But as it stands right now, it just felt really clumsy. And I got to thinking about, well, what could, what could this be? What could make this better? And that's kind of where I landed was in this, this sort of raw audio while we're talking about it, I've realized this, this absolutely already exists. I mean, we, we, Does it? yeah, we even had this back in the day when I was playing with bands, like we would record and, and I, you know, if I'm singing into a mic, it would go into a desk that would then come out into a recorder, but they could push back um, effects through my headphones. So I could ask for more reverb through the headphones, but that wouldn't be applied to the actual um thing that they're recording because they wouldn't do that i mean you can't have a you can't have a vocalist in a booth going yeah give me tons of reverb but then that's locked in and it has to be on the track they just need it to help them while they're singing for some reason to cover to cover stuff or to help them and and when they get to one that you like can they save that preset for lack of a better word and then apply it in the edit yeah so that doesn't happen well well maybe it could now i'm sure i'm sure it probably could i'm sure there is something where you can save your 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 preset whatever yeah. effect setup you had but the reason they wouldn't do that is vocalists are a terrible judge of how much reach reverb they need for example so that's something where you record in the raw stuff and then you trust the editor to actually process that stuff by and large and what you had through the headphones is very different to what you'd want on the final track right because it has to balance out with everything else there's some audio people listening to this right now going, Sidoris, you're talking shit. This thing's already exists. Just <laughs> well, it, Google it. It's already there. It does. I'm sure it does exist. I, I mean, it definitely exists. The technology definitely exists. But I don't think I've never seen anything like you're talking about, which is which is hardware, software integration, um, like like something like a roadcaster or a mixcast. I, I've, I've never heard of anything like that, sort of a, a system out the box. It's always a case of like, you know, amps and mixing desks and effects racks that are all like you know, you're jacking things different ways. So different things are applying to some things, but not other things. You've got effects going through headphones, but not going into your recording. Like it's, it's all kind of that sort of thing. I don't, I I haven't seen an integrated system like that. Hmm. Well, there you go. Another million dollar idea. Yeah. But the technology exists. So it, it is a case. I think it's a software thing. That's, uh, that's the, it's a case of just putting it together. Yeah, exactly. Just writing that code. You know, you know what it is? You know what it is? I'm like Jeff Goldblum in The Fly. You ever see that movie? Well, I've always said that about you. <laughs> Where he's just, As he's the not the designer. The end, with the open <laughs> well, Maybe a little of both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where he's, he's like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a designer. I'm not an engineer. I'm just good at putting things together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And I feel like a lot of times that's that's kind of what I am. I'm just I'm just trying to combine things in different ways to see what comes out of it. I, I don't know how to make anything. Yeah, but you're an ideas guy. People need those as well. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know, I don't I don't know the Apple story very well, but it feels like Steve was an ideas guy. Yeah, and and he would uh, point at other people and t- ask ask the the minions to make it happen kind of thing he well, build he a lot himself he'd rarely ask i mean let's yeah. be honest he would <laughs> he'd ask super politely and write you a little card and send you some chocolates right. and say thank you so much and, <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean I, I i think there's that's a legitimate thing and it's something it's something that's harder to find i think is ideas people it's it's you know to do the job we can train people to do the jobs but you've got to find people to work out how to use i mean honestly that's how i feel as a photographer a lot of the time is I feel like I have a lot of skills now and I can take competent photographs. What I'm missing are the ideas. And I think any artist knows this, is you can spend a lifetime building up a skill set. But if you don't have ideas about how to use that stuff well, you're not going to make interesting work. And that's the, the hardest mm. part to get almost, is, is being somebody who can work out what to point this stuff at, you know? To come up with something interesting to say and interesting ways to say it. That's 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 the battle. So the fact that you you feel that's your strong suit, I think, is is a good thing, not a bad thing. It's not less than anything else at all. It's something I struggle with the most. I mean, I, I struggle with, you know, I feel in fact I was talking to Adrian about this the other day. I said I, I, I feel like I've spent my life getting okay at a bunch of things, not getting really good at something. Well, I mean, what's really good? I mean, I, then then I would put myself in the same category because I I don't feel I'm really good at anything. I think I'm competent at a lot of things, and I'm I'm fairly good at some things, but I'm not like world class at anything. It's a sl- do you not believe that? Oh God, no, of course not. Of course hmm. not. I mean, like I don't know anything I do. Like I I know I can take a decent photograph. But um, but I'm not going to sit in galleries or or people's bookshelves with fancy monographed hardcovers. I'm not going down in history as like one of the greats, and and I shouldn't. I I, I agree with everyone else. I'm not that good yet. Maybe I will he, be. He says, knowing that he's in fact sitting on thousands of people's bookshelves even as we speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, again, like like <laughs> you're not going to get 50 years down the road going like, oh my gosh, can you? Can you still get hold of the the Sean Tucker collections from the from the two thousands? Like it's not, it's not, <laughs> no no no. I mean not. I mean meaning in the making. Oh yeah, but again again, like I've written a book. I don't know I don't know where to place that. I I know that um, I've sold some copies, but I know it's I, I well I don't know it's not going to go down in history. But I don't. I, I, there's no reason to expect it will. It's meant a lot to the people who've read it, but the people who've read it are. You know, it's it's not the whole world. It's 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 a nice amount of people, but it's not the war of art amount of people. So, right. so what's what's great? What's good? What's really good? Like, I, I I've never I've never worked at being an author. It's something I picked up and had the the hubris to think I could give a go and have something decent to say. And 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 no, I'm not I'm not great at. It. I think I think I'm I think I'm okay. Uh, I I think I think I in some people's minds it's good and that's great and in my mind i'm proud of it but i would never dare suggest like i'm a i'm a you know a, a, a stephen king um stephen pressfield you know who 
kind of author. Like I'm a, I'm a right. really great author. That's not who I am. And look, maybe it's for other people to decide. Who knows? Like in, in 20 years, maybe this thing book comes back and goes, actually, gosh, this book's amazing. And then it goes crazy viral. But I don't, I don't, I don't have any reason to expect that will happen. It is what it is. It's, it's done great things for people who've read it and it's been really gratifying to produce, but it's only, it's only good. It's not amazing. Uh, well, in my mind anyway. And that's okay. I, how would it, like, let's, let, I mean, using Stephen Pressfield or, mm-hmm. um, I just got a copy of, uh, the 50th anniversary copy of To Kill a Mockingbird. It was on our little mm. free library up the end of the street. And, you know, I was thinking about someone like Harper Lee or, or even Stephen Pressfield, where you write this one book, you know, in the case of Harper Lee, it, you write this first book and it just becomes this monster icon of a, of a title. How do you react to that? I mean, how do you, how would you, do you think, respond if you did release Meaning in the Making, let's say, and, and it sold 4 million copies? You know, how do you, and, and became, (laughs) (laughs) we wouldn't be having this conversation. Or or I would, but it would be a Mai Tai on the beach. (laughs) (laughs) Flex. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what it's, it's really, you know, I don't know anything about Harper Lee's life. I don't Mm. know, you know, was it too much pressure to follow up? And she said, never again. I just don't have, or did she not have any other idea? Did, like, I don't, I don't know the history there. Um, I know for me, the terror, and I'll use that word intentionally, the terror of following up something that was such a monster of a hit would be paralyzing. Yeah. I mean, it's paralyzing now. Yeah. The difficult. And I haven't done album. anything that's really any good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I th- I think part of it is, like I know what it would be for me if if this book had like gone worldwide and done like smashed records and everyone had it in their hands like if 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 that had happened i I think that because the difficult i think what happens is if that happens, then suddenly publishers are pressuring you for a new one, you know right let's capitalize right. on this you've got a name, let's quickly put out something else, and I think that's where you stumble and fall is because if you feel that pressure and then feel like, Oh my gosh, I've got to find something to say to capitalize on this, to make a bunch of money while people remember who I am, you'll produce crap because I've written two books in my life and, and one came out last year. And the one before that was 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago. Now Um, it would have been almost 12 years ago. And I didn't have a book to write in between those. I didn't have anything Mm. to say. Um, And maybe the difficulty is, you know, putting something out and then trying to pretend you have something to say instead of letting it percolate naturally over time so that it enriches itself and you can actually give it to the world. Rushing that second thing, um, I think, I think is where you fall on your face. But if it did, if it did do something huge and people pressured it and, oh, you got to do another one, I think, I hope I would know enough by now to go, yeah, I will, but not now. I don't really have anything to say. But come back in right. five years. And then you'll get like, well, no, 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 but you've got to do it now because people, you know, all the marketing bollocks that will, that will come at you yeah, straight yeah, away. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. No. What's, what's the music industry? It's you've got your whole life to write your first record and six months to write your second. Exactly. And, and like, I think the, the, the mature response then is like, you know what? Maybe people will forget about me and the second book won't sell as well. But it matters to me that whatever that second book is, is as good as it possibly can be. And it could never be now because I don't have anything to say. I need to do some living. Like that's what I'd have mm-hmm. to say if I was being honest. 
Um, it's it's being honest about how long these things take or how, how long new ideas take to come and formulate and play with and revise before you can actually put out something decent. And and that's what we're terrible at. This this kind of hyper capitalist idea of 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 now 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 money 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 I think can kill art because it 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 forces you to to make or release things into the world before they're ready because you 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 will make a buck on it. Um, but you'll ruin your debt. You'll ruin, you'll ruin your reputation. Yeah, and if they don't sell, yeah, then you're on the other side of that. You yes. know, I've, I've spent months doing a, an update to photography by the letter. It didn't sell very well. Yeah. The first edition, the print edition. Yeah. We did a limited run. I still have a few copies laying around. Yeah. And I was excited about, at, at one point, I was excited about getting the second edition done and out. But as time has gone on, I've, I've really become, hmm, it's not apathy. Mm. I'm already defeated. I have this thing. It's, it's, it's big. It's like 35% bigger. It's, it's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah. You know, it's, you've, you've, you know about it. Yeah. But I'm sitting on it going, eh, what's the point? First one didn't do all that well. So why would I think the updated version would do any better? I mean, I, I completely understand that feeling. Why do I want to set myself up for disappointment again? You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hope that. I mean, because the meaning in the making hasn't sold badly at all. Like it's, it's sold in terms of book sales, it's done pretty well, but, mm-hmm. I, but I would hope that if it didn't, I would still be able to say, I'm really proud of it and I'm glad I did it Yeah, and, and leave it at that. You know, maybe, maybe I would, I, I would move on quicker from it. Um, if, if, if there wasn't that buzz around it, but it, but as an object on its own, I think, I think photography by the letter is something you should be very, very proud of because of the amount of work you put into that and what it is. But again, it's the difference between reading something's value off market response rather than the object itself and, and what we wanted it to be and how close we got. Right. The meaning in the making is exactly the book I wanted to write. Exactly. No compromises. And I'm, I'm really proud of what it is. And whether or not the world agreed with me or not, I'm proud that I made the thing I really wanted to make and released it into right, the world. That, right. That's job done for me. Um, and, look, and you can't know, even if it didn't do what you wanted it to do, you can't know whether it was timing, whether it was, no. you know, market forces. Like the, it, it's, it's not a, ref- popularity does not equal quality, nor does a lack of popularity. I mean, I've got a great example at the moment with YouTube because, you know, I've been talking to a few fellow YouTube people recently, and we are all seeing our numbers take a massive dive in terms of like how many people are engaging with the work we're putting out into the world. Now, I could say, well, oh, does that mean I stopped making good videos? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm getting better all the time. So it's got nothing to do with me. I didn't, I didn't get right. worse. I'm getting better every day. It's got to do with things that have nothing to do with me. And let's be honest, it's got to do with the fact that we saw a dive when, when this pandemic hit across the board with YouTube. We thought everyone was going to go indoors and watch YouTube. It didn't happen. People had, there's some scientists have been talking about it. You, you, people are, have, are having digital fatigue, kind of this online fatigue. 
and, mm-hmm. and are actually wanting to get back outdoors, which is lovely. It's brilliant. So actually everyone is seeing that decline. And in the last few weeks, obviously with the world and especially what's happening in Ukraine, people are watching news cycles all day. They don't have time for anything else. Everything else feels too frivolous for most people. That's the reason. As an artist, for me to go, well, I got worse as a filmmaker because people aren't watching or they don't care anymore, is, is me not paying attention to what's happening in the world and trying to blame myself for things that are outside of my control. The, if, but if I stay self-contained and say, the last film I put out was, was a little documentary with a photographer named Dan Baker who shoots a 100-meter stretch of beachfront. I love that story. I love what he has to say. I'm proud of some of the shots in it. I think it comes together really well. And I think I would want to watch that video. Job done. Whether, whether, whether less people watched it than normally would, and, and a lot less people are watching these videos than normally would, is not to do with my filmmaking or the quality of my work or how much effort I'm putting into this stuff or the fact that my skills are declined. It's got to do with the market's interest going elsewhere, and that's got nothing to do with me. And I'm, I'm not loading that on myself. That's nothing to do. I'm going right. to keep going as long as this works for me because I'm proud of the work that I'm producing, and that's enough. It has to be enough. Otherwise, we do get dragged down every time something we release doesn't do what we thought it should. Didn't get as many likes as I would have hoped. Who cares? Maybe people were busy that day. I mean, it's stupid stuff. Like, we've all worked out as YouTubers not to release videos when there's a football match on this country because people won't watch it (laughs) because they're busy. And, of course, if you don't get those views within the first hour, YouTube doesn't think it's as big a thing, so it won't push it as hard. These are all dumb, algorithmic market influence things that have nothing to do with the quality of work you put out. Right. So just make the very best work you can and give it to the world and let go of the results. You have to, you have to teach yourself that I think as any artist. Yeah, I think you do. It's hard because you're brought up with a different metric, a different, a different measurement of what is and isn't good, successful, worthy, valuable, etc. Yeah. At least I was. Well, I think everyone is. Yeah, it's that, it's that idea of, you know, you get marks at school, you know, you get grades, um, you get, uh, you know, we, we, and then you sort of step out into the world and you're told, you know, how much money you make around the thing that you do is the mark of success or right. how famous you get around the thing you do is the mark of success. Everything's like got a score, doesn't it? Yeah. But the score's arbitrary. It's so arbitrary. It is arbitrary. And you need to learn to manage those expectations. You know, I gave myself a very low bar for this video for Tascam. Mm. You know, I, I, I said to myself, if I can get, if I can get a hundred and, and I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a YouTube person. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't make videos. So I gave myself this, this low bar. I said, if I can get to a hundred in the first 24 hours, that will be a win for me. Well, you did that. I did that. Yeah. And, but- and I was like, okay, great. Yeah. Now I can let go of that. You know, I don't, I don't have to beat myself up and go, well, yeah, but you didn't get to a thousand or you didn't get to 5,000 or you didn't like, I don't, but that's been my pattern. And I would imagine it's a pattern for a lot of people listening where, you know, and you have said this many times and you are so right that it doesn't matter what the goal is when you get there, it won't be enough. That's, and that's so true because, because I've experienced that. Yeah. I think a lot of people would pay a lot of money to be in my position, but I'm telling you when you get here, you're like, oh no, gosh, that's not it. Yes. And I'll be honest, my first response was, yeah, but I just barely got there. Or, yeah, but I didn't get to this. Or, yeah, okay, I got there. but I, And I had to go, nope, you have to let this go. Yeah, but and I think that's why I don't think you should even give yourself a bar. Mm. 
I think it's a mistake. I think it's, there's got, this is, this is honestly, and I know I bang on about this, but this is like where that kind of more philosophical approach really keeps you more mentally healthy. Because I genuinely do release a video and I don't have a bar. I don't have a, I need this many likes or this many views or anything for any video because it's not in my control. I don't care. And I've had, and I did used to care. This is like a, this is blood, sweat and tears. I've had to teach myself this because I made myself miserable caring about that stuff. I've realized it's not a mark of anything and, and I have to let it go. There is no bar. So if, if the last, the last couple of videos I put out, YouTube does this horrible thing now in the back end is where it says, um, where the last video you, released ranks in terms of the last 10 videos you released oh wow and the last number of videos i've done and i've checked this with friends as well have all been 10 of 10 lowest views no one cares wow and it'll it'll literally say in the back end it'll say less of your audience are are watching your video um it'll, oh it'll tell you that literally, that's encouraging yeah, thanks yeah, youtube right. it'll literally flash <laughs> up and tell you that but i i've i stopped looking at that because that's not yeah. my job. I can't promote this stuff anymore. I know what I do. I post a video. I, I tell people on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter that I posted a video. And then I go out and I go do other things. And I don't even check the views or comments until the following week, maybe, when I just have a scan of the comments and see if there's something to respond to. But I don't look at numbers. I don't look at likes. I don't I don't care because I don't think it's a mark of anything. And And I've done my job. And what the yeah. world does with my work is actually not my business. And I don't have a bar. There is no bar. There's no low bar. There's no high bar. There is no bar. If no one watches it, I don't think I messed up. Unless, unless I did. But usually if you mess up on YouTube, you get way more views because you've said something controversial and it's caused the buzz. <laughs> right. <It's> not seeing <laughs> you've walked views. half the room. <laughs> yeah. Not seeing views on a particular video is because everyone was doing something else. You know? I mean, they have to watch your video to tell that they don't like it. And you've already got the view at that point. So it's not because people didn't like it. It's because they didn't even watch me. It means they've moved on to other things and I can't stop them doing that. I don't have any desire to stop them doing that. It's, uh, I'm, only, I'm only around as long as I can serve people with this stuff. Yeah. And I think I got the, the, only, well, the biggest reason that I set even a low bar for myself was I didn't, you know, one of the, re- the big reason I did this was because Tascam sent me a mixed cast. Yeah. I said, Hey, I'd love to do this thing. Would you send me one of these so I can do this thing? Yeah. And I didn't want, well, I'll be honest with you. I didn't want the embarrassment of the marketing guy at Tascam going to see this thing and it had two views. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want, I mean, it's, it's, it's somewhat embarrassing that it, that it has the, the few that it has relative to other people that have done these. But what I can tell you is in terms of content, in terms of production, in terms of execution, I will put this video up against the others that have done them any day of the week. Good, good. At least you could do that for yourself because I think that's a good thing to be able to do. So right now, 20% of, of my audience have watched it. That's a good return. In one day. It's really good. In one day. Yeah, in 24 hours. That's great. I'll take that. I, I mean, I don't get, I don't get ten percent of my audience watching watching most of my videos over a long time, not a day. Yeah. So I mean, that's great. So we'll see. I mean, I, it's you know, I think you're right. I think the idea of of no bar, get to the point, listeners, where there is no bar. The bar is the bar is largely a lie anyway. It's an illusion, rather. 
maybe not a lie, but it certainly is is a pretty big illusion because as Sean said, and I'm starting to acknowledge this, I've experienced it for years, but I'm starting to acknowledge it more readily that when you do hit whatever bar you've set for yourself, it's not going to be enough. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll convince yourself that, that, well, yeah, but you, you know, you just set this low thing or you, you know, you, you, here's the real measure. And, and it doesn't matter if we're talking about videos or, or people that walk into your gallery or listen to your podcast or read your book or read your blog post or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. No. We will still convince ourselves that we are somehow not good enough. Many of us, not everybody, but many of us. There is no bar. Or is it like, there is no spoon. <laughs> if you've got questions or comments about the show we'd love to hear from you send us an email or better yet a voicemail at deepnatter at gmail.com subscribe in your favorite podcast app and support the show by leaving a review or a rating wherever you listen or by sharing the episode on social media you can support the show more directly by tapping the donate button at jeffreysadoris.com. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S.com. Connect with Sean on Twitter or Instagram at Sean Tuck. That's S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K. On his website at seantucker.photography or by searching for Sean Tucker on YouTube. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at jeffreysadoris. And as always, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here and listening. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you'll come back for the next one.